0: To join me on today, a special welcome as always to those of you who are joining us for the very first time. It's your first time listening to The World of UX with Darren Hood. You can catch us anywhere where podcasts are available and new episodes are going up simultaneously as these are published now to YouTube. You have a static background, but if you want to just listen while you're on YouTube, you do have the ability to do that there as well. So feel free to join us wherever it is convenient for you. We're currently going through what I'm referring to as the Memory Lane series, where I'm simply just talking about Memories. I had someone come to me and they were asking me, they they specifically asked me to share my nightmares. They wanted to hear what types of hardships, pitfalls, challenges that I had been encountering over the course of my career. And I just thought, just to recap a little bit, i I didn't want to just talk about the nightmares. I wanted to have a little bit of quote unquote, balance. So I wanted to share some success stories, and I'm going to blend the two tonight. Just a little heads up going to blend the nightmares with the success, Uh, and I want to have like some morals to these stories as well, uh, because sometimes people hear, they hear the things I'm talking about, because I just keep it real. For those of you that aren't familiar, I'm just going to talk about what needs to be said. I'm not going to tickle your ears. I'm not going to fill the air with toxic positivity. I'm not going to try to make you feel good. I'm going to tell you what you need so that you can excel, so you can succeed, not just try to make you feel good. This is not the land of the participation trophy. I didn't come up during that time. And I definitely see it for the danger that it presents to people to make everybody feel good. Even though you just lost 20 to nothing, we're going to take the kids and go and celebrate and get ice cream and pizza anyway. No, that is not a good frame of mind to be in. You will never get better. You will never excel. And no matter where you are in your journey, You always need to know where you are, what you can do to get better, what you can do to maintain, things of this nature, and sometimes you have to hear about things that aren't necessarily pleasant, and that's sort of how, again, this came about. Someone wanted me to share some nightmares. I decided the first two weeks to share some success stories, and with each one of those, as we're going to do today, with each one of those, there were some morals, there were some takeaways, there were some things that we had to recognize the, uh, to make sure that we had at the forefront of my mind in hearing these things. And what I was about to say a couple of moments ago is that some people, they, they don't like some of the things that I talk about, and they'll say, hey, this stuff is negative. Hey, you're, you're putting blanket statements out there. I'm not doing either of those things, and shame on folks for thinking on that line. Uh, number one, if you are listening with a critical ear, If you're listening with your critical thinking hat on, as some of my peers like to say, you can come away with action items out of anything that you hear. There's something to do, something to maintain, something to correct, something to overcome. There's always something, no matter what is said. So, And people, if you're just looking for somebody to tickle your ear and you don't get anything to tickle your ear, then no, you're not going to get anything, but you know you're not going to get that listening to me so I'm not even worried about that and I'm not going to kowtow to that I'm not going to I'm not going to compromise with that uh, because I know it's dangerous I know it's destructive I know it's counterproductive so I'm not I'm not buying into that and if you don't like it hey you got other podcasts you can listen to frankly so I'm I'm not going to buy into that because I know it's very disrespectful as well and I'm not going to disrespect my listeners by giving them something to tickle their ears. That's just insulting. It insults people's intelligence. You're you're undermining someone's adulthood when you do things of that nature. So we're gonna tell you what you need to hear, period. Someone said that I make too many generalizations. Do I really? No, I don't. That's just somebody looking for something to criticize because they're trying to find something. People who are narcissists, people who are trolls, are going to find something to criticize no matter what you do. So, fooey on them because you could give them a million dollars and they find a fault with that. So, we're not worried about them because that's just the way they're they're made up. That's the way that their mind works and that's not profitable. Nobody wants to be in that position. That's not a good place to be. What I do do, however, is anytime I do a presentation, I start at the top. I start with the very basic components. Lay the foundation using the basic stuff because if I just jump straight to the details, who said that people understand that? I have had over 5,000 speaking engagements and and I am not hyperbolizing. I've had over 5,000 speaking engagements in the last 20 plus years or so. I know how to address people, so I'm not worried about somebody criticizing. I'm gonna come across general first, yes, and then there's a lot of detail under that, I'm not going to present the detail first. That's what somebody who doesn't understand how to address people and how to build people would say because they don't have that kind of a history. They don't have that kind of understanding about how to build people. I've been building people for 40 years, over 40 years. So <laughs> sort of tell you age on that. But uh, so, you no, know, if somebody feels like that, shame on them. That means that they're going to fall short. There's something they're not going to be able to digest, uh, but there's always going to be critics. There's always going to be haters. There's always going to be people that are upset because the light is not on them, basically. So just we don't care anything about that, and, and, and I don't care about people. Somebody told me once, here's somebody who really admires you. Well, they're wondering why you blocked them, and this that, and that. I, I block them because I don't have time. For people who have that type of a mindset, I don't argue. I'm not going to debate with you. Uh, We can have a healthy debate, and that's because we're just trying to uncover something. But in general, I'm sort of kind of not even going to do that. It it sort of turned my stomach just to even say that. I'm not going to debate with you. If you have something to offer me from an informational standpoint, I want to hear it. If you have a perspective that varies from mine, great. I'd love to hear it. Because there is no one way to do everything. So I'd love to hear it. I'm I'm doing the channeling Bruce Lee on this one. The, The man was great at what he did, but he still wanted to see what people in other martial arts styles, what they brought to the table. And he never just took what he had to offer as being the top of something. He wanted to learn from other people and, in many cases, incorporate it into his own. So this is Darren Hood's show, this is Darren Hood's time, this is Darren Hood speaking, and now if you blow off what Darren Hood is saying, you're going to end up suffering the consequences in some way, form, or fashion, because that's just the nature of the the information I'm sharing with you. Uh, You know, all I'm basically telling you is when you really pare it down to its most base uh, points, its most rudimentary points, I'm I'm telling you things like don't drink Drano, I'm telling you something that's the equivalent of when the light turns red, stop. Matter of fact, when it's yellow, make sure you slow down. Everything that I'm saying is, is on par with these types of things. It's, it's basic and then we branch out. So that's the way I have always addressed people. That is the way I will always address people. I offer no, no uh, um, apologies at all. And so let somebody think what they will, because I'm not playing the gaslighting games or any of that stuff that has become extremely popular these days, and sadly, especially in the world of UX. So I wanted to sort of tell you where we've been, where we're going. This is Nightmares Night, Nightmares Night number one. Uh, But I also wanted to say, before I get into the nightmares, we're already eight minutes or so in. Before I get into the nightmares, I wanted to, to make sure that I mention, this is a very... Difficult challenge. Uh, someone asked me to share some nightmarish stories, and I have very carefully selected three for tonight. One has to do with dealing with leadership. One has to deal with interviewing, so I've got an interview nightmare, and one has to do with with um, collaboration and and teammate challenges. These things are all real. So I wanted to be very careful to pick stories that I could share with the listening audience that will, some of you will be able to relate to it immediately because you're either there or have been there. And maybe it was a challenge for you and you didn't know what to do. And this will give you some ideas. Maybe you're dealing with it now and you'll get some ideas as to how to manage this thing. All in all, when these three stories are done The practical application of what I'm talking about, I'm hoping that they become clear so you know how to address these things. There are way too many people out here trying to paint a picture that UX is this easy thing. There was a post on LinkedIn the other day where somebody said, hey, you want to get into UX? Here's five easy steps. Uh, a, A little number like that and the phrase easy steps do not go with UX at all. And anytime somebody is saying that you're overselling somebody, anybody who's doing it, they're overselling someone, they're oversimplifying UX and they're setting up that person for a bunch of heartache down the road. You need to know what lies ahead. And and when you know what lies ahead, when you come to the easy spots, yeah, slide right through it. Anybody can slide through that. But what happens when you come into the tight spots? What happens when you run into the the potholes and the pitfalls and the challenges and the lack of support and leadership or, or cantankerous team members, somebody who's supposed to be on the same side as you? When you encounter these types of things, it's you and that situation, no matter how many people are involved in it, it's you and that situation. And if you want to navigate it correctly, if you want to achieve success, you're going to need to know how. And so, that's why we share these stories. So, for people who think that I am uh, overgeneralizing, shame on you, uh, first and foremost, because that's that's gaslighting, that's a lie. Uh, for people who think I'm pontificating, um, go out there and try to do the work and ignore what we're talking about and watch and see what happens. And then you can come back. I've had people blow me off and then come back and guess who they come to for help. So, we're already giving you the help now. Why wait until you get between a rock and a hard place to get help? How about getting your strategy together now? That's how we succeed. So all that said, let's dive into story number one. And this story, again, leadership. This has to do with a nightmare, a nightmarish situation that was associated with leadership. I worked at a company where I was tasked to head up an initiative we wanted to start doing more research. We knew we needed to start doing more research and and I was brought in to like be a senior operator in this in this operation and one of the things I felt they knew they needed to do more formal research. I knew we needed to do more research and I thought that it would be good for us to start looking at the different tools on the market. And we're talking about your remote usability testing, those types of tools, so your user testing, user zoom, try my UI, a few shout outs there, usability hub on the lower end of the spectrum with things like that. We knew we needed something like that so that we could get more work done in less time and we could start to to do more benchmarking work from a research perspective and we could start to cover more ground and obtain more data to inform the work that we were doing. So here I am launching out and I was responsible for, we had a, in this company, we had a committee that anytime somebody wanted to secure a tool, there were steps you had to go through. You had to do all of the research. You had to have at least three tools you were evaluating, go through all the steps that the committee was giving you, and then come back and report out to this team. So, once all the evaluations were complete, uh, I went before the governing committee, presented my recommendation, everything was fine. Everything was was great. Uh, I won't tell you what we decided upon, but we did decide upon a tool. At that time, I made the recommendation, we we're all set. So after all that was done, there was somebody, and I don't know who, I don't know if the person was on the team, because that did come up later at this company. There was somebody on our UX team, who was upset about what I was doing, not because it was wrong, but because it didn't have their name on it. So they didn't like it. There's a lot of narcissism in UX today, folks. It's it's terrible. (laughs) We don't have time for this kind of stuff. But uh, somebody, and I have no idea who did it, somebody didn't want us making progress with that. And so they basically, um, we ended up having an additional layer of compliance add it onto the top of our particular tool we didn't hear about that happening with anybody else but it happened when we were trying to secure the license for the and get the contract signed for this remote usability researching tool so we go into a meeting i show up the meeting there's a vp and there's another leader in in uh it in this organization and we arrive at the meeting and their face, they may as well have written on their foreheads with magic marker saying, we don't want to be here and we don't want your tool. They, I've never seen that I can remember in my entire professional history, my in my entire career, coming to a meeting where a leader had, I don't want to be here, written all over their face. Uh, I'd never seen anything telegraphed like that. So it was I already knew what was going on. And I pretty much knew what we were up against, but I did not let that deter me. So there's one of your, one of your little underlying messages. I want to make sure that, that people hear in this today, you don't have to let people being against you, stop you from moving forward. So a uh, little quick commercial there. So I was shocked, however, by what happened next. I, I wasn't surprised about the way that they pushed back and things of that nature, but it's the way that they did it that qualified it for being a nightmare. To the extent I made a comic strip and, and told this story once before. So some of you familiar with Tales of the Indescript, you or you know, Tales from the End of script you have seen me talk about this in the comic strip. So uh, we the, the VP said to me, after we were done with the preparation, one of the things he said was, he said, well, you know, uh, we don't deal with B2C. All of the examples that you have here are B2C. Uh, we're B2B. Which is funny. So I want to pause for the cause there too, because I, I've encountered other people who like to make a distinction, a great distinction between B2B and B2C research in particular. I got news for you. And, and for those of you out there that are interested in doing UX the right way, let me fill you in on something. What is the common denominator between B2C and B2B? Well, they both have users. <laughs> At the core point of focus for what we are doing, it's users. It, it, if it's B two B, you still have users. You still have a a primary user base. If you're B two C, you have a primary user base. There's always the business. So no, that would not be the answer to that question. But and I'd I really sort of I, I sort of accelerated it a bit. I would tell that differently if I was in front of people. But just to to make the point. Because there are users, and you need to understand your users, and you always need to understand, keep that that old classic Venn diagram in mind. You have users, user needs, business needs, and constraints. There's always these three contributing elements that are at the very base of what we're doing from a perspective of UX. So, if, if, if that's the case, if there's a difference between B2B and B2C, when it comes to that Venn diagram, then it would only be, one of them would only be business needs and, and constraints. When it, it's not. All you do is shift your focus that it's no longer, the, 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 the mental models are different. The, where these users reside are different, but they're still your main users, and so user experience work always focuses on those users so that we make sure to understand who it is that we're catering to whose needs are we are we solving so that we generate wins and profitability for the business it just shifts they're just business people that are doing it and i heard him say that and i'm going okay no well you don't understand that i've heard people who claim to be ux folks who who don't understand that. And if are we doing B2B or B2C? That's silly. It doesn't, there, there's users. It doesn't It doesn't matter. And, and some people, they're just so hooked on following processes. And that's why some people ask those questions. And when you're hooked on a process, that means you lack experience. Ah, and I'll stop there for now. Just, just serving that information up for folks who do not know that. What he did next, though, was even worse. He said he had been designing for 10 years and never needed any solution like what we were trying to secure. And he did carefully, however, omit the fact that he had only been designing for mainframe. Uh, (laughs) That is downright laughable. And then the person that was with him, the person I called a lackey, he agreed with the person. He had never designed anything in his life prior to being in the leadership role that he was in. He was basically in a, a uh, an experimental promotion. He had never done any work, and I'm not being mean. I'm just saying, I'm just telling you what the facts are with regard to that situation. So you got one person who had been designing a mainframe, another person who never designed anything. They both shot down everything we were saying. They used flawed arguments to disprove of what we were saying. So whoever sicked them on us got their wish because the presentation that we gave them Got shot down, even though we had already gone through the organizational process and passed all of their tests and checked all their boxes, dotted all their their eyes and crossed all their t's. So the person felt that they were successful. They shot down something Darren Hood was doing. So you know, because it was it was personal, uh, and people say don't get your personal. Well, sometimes it is personal, and and that one was personal. Uh, so it was really really silly, and it was really going to cripple. The organization, because then we could not do this research any longer that we set out to do. But I said that we were going to blend in a little success story uh, with some of these uh, uh, nightmares that I was going to be sharing with you now. Um, well, when I realized what I was dealing with and I saw the way they were coming at us, I'm like, I'm not going to debate with them in this session because it's not going to get anywhere. They were determined to shoot us down when we came in the room. So, uh we have to learn when you're going to operate in UX one of the things we've always been taught i don't think it's being taught anymore not, not to a lot of people that are coming up in UX now so i'm going to share with you now learn how to pick your battles don't fight every battle pick your battle which one should you fight which one should you back off on and which ones which time should you compromise you it's critical to know how to navigate these types of things. And yes, you will learn how to do it. For those of you that are up and coming in UX, you'll learn how to do it as you go through your career. There is no fast track anywhere. So stop stop drinking that Kool-Aid and believing that. There's no fast track anywhere. You're going to have to learn. And sometimes through trial and error, sometimes you'll fight a battle, you'll find out you shouldn't have fought. Sometimes you'll let a battle go and you find out you should have fought it. So you're going to have to learn this as you continue to grow. Uh, in, in UX today, but the good news is just a few months later, the next thing, you know, the signature was on the dotted line and everything was set to go. So eventually they did get the research tool. They did sign a deal. I will say now they did sign the deal with com. Everything worked out well and we had a success story and I don't know what happened, uh, right, it, it got signed right before I left, so I don't know what ended up happening with the person who fought against what we were talking about before. But um, no, he ended up losing that one, and the and the team was able to start doing more research. So happy for that success story. So that's the end of that particular nightmare. But sometimes leaders don't get it, and and it's going to happen that leaders don't get it. That doesn't stop us from being excellent. It doesn't stop us from being professional. So I'd encourage people to continue doing the right thing. No matter what, and no matter how things would be going in your favor or against your favor, don't worry about that. That shouldn't that that should not change our commitment to excellence. So keep that in mind. Story number two, and this one is an interview story. And there was a position I was uh, being considered for once. I had talked to a recruiter at length. Really good recruiter. There's some good ones out there. Yes, I know quite a few. I know a lot of terrible ones too. But uh, there were. I spoke to a recruiter, he thought that I was just gonna be a shoe in that I had everything this company needed for this particular role. And I know that that happens a lot, and I know recruiters feel like that a lot. Uh, but this was one, I mean, I, I felt pretty optimistic about the whole thing. And then after our initial convo, I learned that there was a former co-worker that, I, uh, that was at this company, who and he knew my work. He had seen my work firsthand. He had seen how I impacted things firsthand. So I thought, man, this is really going to help. So I'm even more optimistic about this role. And yeah, as usually is the case, <laughs> after that, the roof caved in uh, through a series of events that was completely out of my control. But, you know, that's, that's just the way that things happen sometimes. Um, I had been working on my, my site and I had been updating my portfolio and there were some problems, however, and my my portfolio was password protected. For those of you out there and your portfolio was not password protected, um, you're going to find out the hard way, some of you, not all of you, but some of you, that there are people, and it's almost like they're being paid to do it, they go around, look at people's portfolios just to steal their content. Not the way that you structure it, your actual design content, so that they can claim that it's theirs. So, I vaguely remember there was a time that I had an interview. This is like a 2B story here, and I'll go back to 2A in a moment. But I went to an interview once, and I went to present my portfolio only to find out that someone else had presented my work previously to those same people, and so they doubted me because I was the second person presenting my work. This is ridiculous. So after that, that's when I decided, you know what? No, no. From this point forward, I will password protect my portfolio. So if you don't do it, um, then you run the risk of having your content stolen. You'll run the risk of somebody else presenting your work as their own. And I I didn't want to go through that ever again. And I, I would trust that a lot of other people don't want to do that either. And, I, and there are a lot of recruiters. They get upset. Ah, why do I have to go through extra steps? Hey, <laughs> it's it's a necessary evil as far as they're concerned. You have here. When you're ready for the, for the password, I'll provide you with the password. But I'm not leaving my content out there. I'm not going to be negligent and leave my content out there for somebody else to steal it just to make your life easier. And if and if they want you to take that risk, I'd venture to say you don't want to work there, if that's the way that they're behaving. So that that's a shout out to the recruiters. Stop being lazy. Uh, we need the password protect our work, and and uh, because if not, then, then we run into other issues. And the people who were complaining about the extra work are not going to fix anything if somebody steals your portfolio work. So you know, fool me on that if that's the case. So so that that's my two cents on that. But back to story two A. Um, the way that I had structured my portfolio, um, it was a, all you have to do is enter a password to get in. There's no login, but you have to, you do have to enter a password to look at what's in the portfolio and the way that the page, that the, the page had been designed, I was using WordPress. Yes. And I was using, uh, a, a, a solution that I'm not going to name here because I'm going to call them out and I don't want to call them out. Publicly here, so I'm not going to mention who they are, uh, but they design the system that's used to do the designs. Uh, there's a few tools out there that you can plug in. You can put in WordPress so that you're not using WordPress to to author and manage your content. The, the, from a design perspective, you're using that other backend kind of system. And there were there was a contrast issue where I kept looking at my the, 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 the field to put in the password. And it was very difficult to see the, the, uh, the field. And I knew it was because there was a contract issue. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to need some CSS to fix this. So why don't I just reach out to them, the people who designed the system and see what, tell them what my problem is and see what they recommend. They were great. They gave me some CSS. I put the CSS in everything was fine. It was, everything was exactly the way I wanted it to be. I was able to apply my UX knowledge to this to structure the password so that everything was easy, the uh, easy to see, the page was fully scannable, everything was intuitive, the contrast was there so that people didn't have problems finding anything. Okay, we're good. Thank you for your, for your customer service. This is great. Ready to sing their praises. The whole nine yards. Until... Um, for this particular job, I went to give them my, my portfolio. I actually went back and looked up the email and getting ready for this episode. And I still have it. I didn't realize I still had, I still have the email where I sent the person my password and the person complained because he said he couldn't see the, the field to enter in the password. I'm going, wait a minute. I just added the CSS to fix this, like just a few days ago. Why can't he see it? I looked at it. I tested it. I know everything is set. And I wrote to him and I I let him know. I sent him a screenshot and the screenshot pointed at the field. This is where you find it. And he just just sent me one note back and he said, maybe they need a UI person. And when he said that, I knew that my candidacy was over at that point. I never heard from anybody again. He blamed me for the site not working when I found out that the company that I had just talked to, the company that had just given me the CSS, changed the code for their system on the back end. It overwrote my system and it it deleted basically the CSS. My custom CSS that was in WordPress was gone. And so now people who were trying to view my my portfolio all of a sudden couldn't see the entry field for the password any longer. And the, the hiring manager or the person who had input with the hiring manager in this case ended up thinking that it was my fault he blamed me. But you know what? I'm, that's a nightmare. It's an interview nightmare. These things happen. Uh, it wasn't my fault. It was the company who changed the code on the back end that blew away my custom CSS. But you know what? This is another one that I call this. Another success story blended in, in that when we want to get a job, we assume, I've said this a hundred times, we assume the hiring company knows what they're doing. We assume they know what UX is. This person was already referring to me as a UI guy. And he had worked with me before. And he was referring to me as a UI guy. I'm not a UI guy. So that's not the case at all. So I think I dodged a bullet in that particular case. And that's not me just trying to make trying to make, uh, 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 taking lemons and making lemonade. It's the truth that if the work that I was bringing to the table was not going to be understood, that's not the environment I want to go into. So I was really happy that things didn't work out. And it was funny. I ended up going back and hiring my former boss for the same position. So, but you know, that's all fine and dandy. It's, I'm glad that I didn't get the role because I don't think they knew. What was? I don't think they knew what I would have been bringing to the table. And God knows I don't want to work for a company that's like that. It's important for people to understand who their employees are. It's important for employees to understand what skill set a person brings to the table. And if they don't understand that and you go in there, you're going to be looking for a job real soon. Unless you're one of those passive people that's satisfied just because you have a check. I am not. So (laughs) there's intrinsics mean the world to me and I would hope that they mean the world to you as well and so you know you want to make the most out of situations like that so make sure that you are do your best when you're trying to get a position but when someone thinks that you've made an error when you have not yeah not not going to be the best scenario to be in so that's in a story number two the last story for today and this one I'm referring to as research narcissism. <laughs> That's right. Research narcissism. I was preparing for a research project, and I had to deal with somebody. This is I mentioned that this was, had to do with team member problems. This is a constant, especially the more senior you are. Real seniors usually catch it from people who are threatened by our skill, our presence, our acumen. They, they should be happy we're on the team they should be looking to learn from us partnering with us instead they're always trying to it's, it's a jail yard kind of mentality you see it in movies you know they they, they come into jail and they fi- try to find who the toughest guy and the biggest guy is and they feel like they're going to by taking that person down or making that person look bad that they're going to vault themselves up it's a very dysfunctional mindset that people have but that's not just happening at jail that's happening in corporate America there are people who do that because they don't want to play second fiddle. These narcissists and psychopaths in the workplace, there's a lot of it today. The, these EQ deficient people, huge problem. So at any rate, I'm preparing for a research project and I had to deal with somebody who took umbrage to my presence. What kind of things were they doing? They would talk to me about things I already knew how to do. And and I remember there was one instance where the person was they started asking me general questions like they were quizzing me about about research. And, and I'm thinking, this is a ridiculous conversation. And I remember once starting to talk about formative and summative research, and I didn't even get the word summative out of my mouth. The person began talking over me, uh, poo-pooing off what I was saying. And I know Jeff Sorrell, a lot of you have to know, and I love Jeff, love his work. I love what he does. And that doesn't mean we're going to agree on everything. And he says that we should not use the words formative and summative. And and you can go out to his website at measuringyou.com, and you can look up the article where he talks about the, the how we shouldn't use formative and summative. And some people apparently have seen that he wasn't trying to, to endorse the behavior that some of these people are taking on. When this person heard me talk about formative and summative, they began just immediately blowing off anything that I was saying, figure I didn't know what I was talking about. Why? Because Jeff Sorrow said ABCD&E. Jeff didn't tell you to go and disrespect anybody. So, you know, that's not Jeff's fault. That's his perspective. I'm still going to use formative and summative. I know what I mean. I can break it down. And we're not going to use the words formative or summative when we're talking to stakeholders anyway. Those words are going to come up when we're talking to other UX people. So you can use whatever words you need to use as long as you're going to explain it and everybody can agree on it. But but when somebody doesn't use your word and then you try to invalidate who they are, that that's ridiculous and that's very amateurish. So people shouldn't be doing things like that. But that's what happened to me. So, and I'm still, I will never stop using the words formative and summative because I know what they are. When you're formulating things in the beginning, that's formative. When you're doing things, you're trying to summarize or do the, the validation at the end of the things, you're summarizing. That's where the word summatives comes from. So either you're doing it early or you're doing it late. They're using different terms that mean the same thing. Just ridiculous types of things that are going on out there that people are choosing to bicker about. It's, it's really sad. It's silly. And people are doing it a lot of times just to stake their claim. Not because they're trying to make things work for everyone. So that's really, again, sad and amateurish. But at any rate, Person began again telling me about things I already knew, because they were trying to create a false narrative about what I brought to the table. And some people were really silly enough to believe any lie that somebody tells them. It's just sad, sad stuff. The person didn't attend one of my meetings without being disruptive or commandeering the meeting. They would they would actually come to my meetings and take over the meetings. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't matter if I said something. Uh, that they didn't like, they would just talk over me. Sometimes they just talked over me just to talk over me. I mean, this this stuff would go on a lot. Anything I said, they would ignore it immediately and do the the direct opposite of what I just said or do anything just to contradict what I said. And anything that I said, they would just downplay it. And these are, people don't realize it, and some people under the sound of my voice might not know it. Go look it up, what I'm about to say. These are standard narcissistic manipulation tactics. So that let me know who that individual was when that type of thing was going on. So we need to be aware of those types of things. And there are books out there that talk about how to navigate the waves of narcissism in the workplace today. I highly recommend, there's, there's one book that, that I was just being reminded of that I bought recently. There's a book called Surrounded by Narcissists. It's an absolutely fantastic book. Uh highly recommend. Matter of fact, the whole series by Thomas Erickson. He, he's done a several books that will help any of us that are going through hardship at work and trying to navigate certain things in the workplace and help us to excel. Again, highly recommend his his books. Really, some really great stuff there. But at any rate, so the person is engaging with these narcissistic tactics and and one of the most powerful, I'll give you another example, one of the most powerful data points obtained during research is the verbatims, the, the things that the research participants actually say everybody loves them researchers love them stakeholders love them everybody just loves them could you believe that this person actually had the audacity to try to sabotage my research work by blatantly telling me that i could not do anything or use any of the verbatims that came out of my research I mean, and i just sort of like listened to the person and laughed they actually thought i was going to do that it's just amazing when you, you're supposed to be on the same team and people will do things to undermine the things that somebody else on the team is doing. And then when you have leaders, and this is something that took me a long time to realize this, but I've gone through, I mean, again, I'm being really careful with the stories that I'm sharing with you for these nightmares, but there's something I just came to the knowledge of just in the past week. I used to look at the people, again, tons and tons of nightmare stories that you will not hear. You'll hear those when we're talking in private, but I'm not going to broadcast them. It's amazing how I would see these people do these things, and I would always look at the perpetrator, the person who was actually doing it, but I just came to the realization recently, it's not the person that's doing it that you need to have the biggest red flag about. It's the leader because nobody's doing these things and then going somewhere else and not doing it. These people are doing these things and they're doing it because somebody else is actually enabling them. It's the enabler of the narcissist, the enabler of the psychopath, the enabler of the, of the gaslighter is actually the biggest, the bigger problem in such cases. So, so that's something else you'll come across when you go and check out some of the books that I, that I've recommended on things like this. So, um, you know you know that situations like this they're not going to fly you're not going to be able to go to somebody in leadership because the person in leadership you go to is probably the person who gave them the green light to do such things and they or they know they can get away with it because they know how that person behaves so but just amazing stuff bottom line on that story the research was a success we got the data that we needed we were able to validate the designs we were able to find out different things that we could tweak actually the one particular example I'm thinking of we didn't have to tweak anything we got all validations so we were good to go moving forward and that's what we set out to do just some quick some quick testing in the in the app that we were using all set and ready to go so stick to it know yourself have a really high level that's why I always stress how the importance of EQ always make sure that your self awareness is off the charts and that way when people are are treating you like this and doing things like this You have somewhere to be planted. You have some place where you can be steadfast and continue to do the right thing and not be swayed by all this manipulative behavior that you're being subjected to. Just really sad. But in closing today, uh, closing notes, and those are our three stories for today. Are you ready to thrive in the face of personal opposition? Are you ready to thrive? in the face of workplace politics. Folks, these things are real. They have nothing to do with your Figma, nothing to do with your wireframes, nothing to do with your focus groups, nothing to do with any, any UX-related work that you're doing. Yeah, we still do focus groups, I know, but we still do it, so I thought I'd throw it in there. The work, folks, that, that's not why I say it all the time, don't I? It's not just about the work. It's about these different things that come up that affect the work. Or that derail the work that we have to be good at managing and dealing with. Are you ready to prove the validity of your design recommendations, or do you take it personally when somebody challenges you? Don't, don't. Can you remain driven to excel in the face of of those threatened by your presence? And this is that's more directed at the more senior folks out there because we go through that a lot more than other folks do. And other line, the underlying message to people complaining. My last point, complaining about people being in your way. You know, the people who complain about supposedly the 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 uh, gatekeepers and complaining because you can't, you don't have a chance with this. You don't have, you don't do that. Folks, obstacles are a part of life. And you're gonna experience it when you first get started in UX, you're gonna you're gonna experience it five, six, seven, eight years in. You're definitely gonna experience it again after 12, 15, 20 years, you're gonna experience it again. So remember that obstacles are a part of life. You're going to be in a better position to manage the obstacles the more you subscribe to excellence, and the more the more uh, of that fortitude that you have, so you can be 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 a person that's committed to sticking to doing the right thing for the long term and not swayed by that which is blow, the wind that's blowing against you, so to speak. So always be determined and ready to press past, through, and over any obstacles that you come into contact with. Don't be a crybaby. If if something's frustrating, hey, yeah, we all get frustrated, but the bottom line is you're not going to be successful by sitting there and crying about it. You're going to be successful by getting up. If you fell down, get up. Face it. There's always something that you must do. Be committed to doing that and go forward. And go forward. And, And when the wind, the wind doesn't always blow. The rain doesn't always continue the rain is eventually going to stop when when it gets cloudy eventually the sun is going to come out so just continue to go forward don't don't be stuck in the land of do nothing (laughs) don't be the people that are sitting there having a pity party let's just go forward and we'll be better off for it we'll have more it's going to build our character when we press forward in the midst of all the obstacles so Those are your three nightmares for this episode, folks. And uh, so we hope you got a lot out of those. Most importantly, we hope that you know what actions to take so you can do the right things. Uh, But we'll have three more nightmares for you next week to share with you. Of course, nightmares that will have a clear moral to the story so that we can help you to go forward. But we are out of time for today. So it's time to sign off. So this is Darren Hood, the host of. The world of UX. Until next time. Happy UXing everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.